Welcome to Season 8 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from around the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. Today's episode is brought to you by Grant Huron International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. Thanks so much for watching. Enjoy the show. So welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today I'm joined by Chandra Groves, who is a teacher, wife, daughter, cat mom, outdoor enthusiast, and TBI survivor. Chandra's TBI transformed her life and understanding of invisible disabilities. In her work, she hopes to share a message of hope, compassion, and advocacy for driving without distractions. Welcome to the show, Chandra. Thank you so much, Anita. I'm happy to be here. Same. Uh, And I want to let the viewers and and listeners know how we met. So as I was writing my book, um, there was one chapter devoted to the neuroscience of empathy. And I wanted to find like a compelling opening story for that chapter to talk about the connection between empathy and the brain. And I thought you know, maybe there is something in like sports injuries that maybe there's some kind of interesting story. And my research assistant found a story on CBC about you and you accepted my invitation for an interview. And so you appear as the opening story in that chapter. So thank you again. But your story was so, um, like I got goosebumps even just thinking about it. Like you, you were, I was so taken by everything you shared with me. And you told me that, uh, and it will tell the listeners in a second that, that you're coming on the fourth year anniversary of your uh, accident. And so here we are taping this in July as we approach the four year mark on August the 11th. Could you please explain what happened that day? Yes. Um, so I had gone on a trip to our family cabin and I had one of my best friends with me. She had actually, it was a trip we were going on because she had actually also suffered um, a catastrophic loss uh, as the result of a different motor vehicle collision and uh, multiple lives were lost in that and she was very close with them all. So I was taking her on this this trip um, as a grasp to do something for a friend who was really grieving and really hurting. And on our way home, I remember it was the sun had just set. I was driving two hands on the wheel. Like I was aware of her anxiety in a vehicle at the time and I was going to speed limit. And that's really the last thing I remember um, from my first 10 memory. And um, what I know or what I was told by RCMP um, after the fact, months after the fact was that um, an oncoming vehicle had crossed over the center line and I had slammed on my brakes. Um, for about 40 feet of brake lines and pulled over as best I could towards the ditch. And in fact, the vehicle came so far over that they still hit us um, head on with two wheels in our ditch on our side of the road. Um, And what I know is that we were, I was found unconscious. Um, Local first responders use the jaws of life to get into my vehicle and to stabilize our necks and hold us in place while um, the ambulances were on their way to us. And because of where we were in kind of a remote location in Northern Saskatchewan, it took about 45 minutes before um, the ambulance, the EMTs could arrive. So we were kind of stabilized and held in place in the vehicle. 
And then once the EMTs arrived, we, we were extracted from the vehicle. And at this time, I don't have any um, visual memories, which is uh, a sign or a, a sign of a TBI. Um, but I do have an auditory memory and I can remember the, the cries of my friend in the distance as they were, I don't know, getting her out of the vehicle or loading her on a stretcher. And I myself was on a stretcher on the side of the road. I could feel that, but I, I don't remember seeing anything. So, My goodness. It's, it, I, it, I know this story because you've shared it with me and it sounds terrible. Um, but I do know that your your friend is, she's a survivor. She survived and she's well, right? So anybody yeah. who's listening and watching can feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, any idea about the other car that hit you? Um, I know that they didn't have to go to a hospital, so they weren't injured. There were three occupants of the vehicle. Um, and there was, due to the way that they hit us, like how far they came across the road, um, there was something involved. I can't say on the record what it was that had happened, but whether it be, um, you know, sleeping and driving, texting and driving, drinking and driving, um, somebody wasn't paying attention. So I know that they were all able and fortunate enough to walk away. And, and I'm not really sure to this day what the cause of the collision was. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So that moment happened and you began a slow recovery from that accident that nearly took your life. So what happened like just immediately after, you know, you were in the hospital um, recovering? Yeah. um, So I, my friend and I actually traveled in different ambulances. Um, I remember this horrific and at the same time beautiful moment where um, we finally got to Royal University Hospital in Saskatoon. It was about a three and a half hour ambulance ride. And when we got there, uh, we were wheeled into the same um, traumatic receiving room in the ER. And somebody pulled back the curtain because our beds had actually been side by side and we were being treated separately for different injuries. And we just, I remember seeing her and like I, to this point, didn't really know even what was going on. Um, but just the overwhelming emotion of reaching out for my friend's hand and getting to squeeze it for the first time. And um, yeah, she ended up staying in the hospital for two months um, with two broken legs and multiple surgeries. I was in the hospital for about five days. Um, and then my, my physical injuries um, still allowed me to care for myself. So I was able to get discharged. Um, but with a brain injury that... I didn't understand and that my caregivers didn't understand and that um, I'm not sure the full ramifications were fully understood of at that point. So I spent about um, two months at home, really sleeping 20 hours a day in a dark room. I remember, you know, if my, my then uh, boyfriend, now husband at the time would, you know, open the fridge door to get a drink out and the light was blinding. It would send me into a spiral. I would feel nauseous, um, sick to my stomach, headache, um, and really just inconsolably like triggered by senses such as light and noise. So it was, it was a really literally and figuratively dark time um, and, a, and a very quiet 
isolating time as well um, due to the symptoms of my brain injury, which required me to be in dark and quiet places all the time. So because you were in dark and quiet spaces all the time, people knew right away that you had suffered from a TBI? Um, interesting, but not necessarily. So my partner, my boyfriend, my now husband, um, he obviously knew. He saw, he saw the, the lowest of lows and he knew what my day-to-day life looked like in isolation. Um, but, you know, three days a week, I was getting taxied to and from physiotherapy um, I would take a taxi to go get prescriptions from the drugstore. And in those moments, you know, I could walk in and without any visible scarring, if I'm wearing, you know, long pants, people would have actually no idea that that was my 15 minutes out of the home for the whole day. And that I would return to my dark and quiet room where I would feel nauseous for hours afterwards. So that is, um, that is the curse of a TBI is its invisibility. I guess that must really give you a sense, a different sense of empathy for people who have physical disabilities that are visible, but then also like anybody who has this, what you're calling an invisible disability. Absolutely. It was, um, I lived a very privileged, able-bodied life prior to this car accident. And um, years later, I'm able to reflect back and be, and be grateful for the insight that I have now um, of what it's like to have a visible or invisible um, disability. It's, it's a world that I knew nothing about and my heart just, it goes out to people, whether it's mental health, you know, other diseases, injuries. I, I can relate in a way that I just, I, I couldn't even understand until I had been through it. And, and yeah, my heart, my heart goes. Yeah, I was having a conversation with somebody about how there's a degree of empathy we can have for people. And then there's a a higher level of empathy we can have when you have shared lived experiences. So I think that's what you're kind of describing. Um, Are you still in touch with that friend? And you guys have that in common? Um, Yeah, I am. She was a bridesmaid in my wedding last summer. She stood beside me on my wedding day and um, we are both teachers now. We met when we first started our journey to become educators. We are now both teachers with teaching jobs and we are definitely, we're in contact. The road has been rocky and it's been filled with ups and downs and I'm so grateful for this friend that I, that I still have. Beautiful. So after the initial kind of few weeks after the accident, you know, I guess the expectation of people around you is like, okay, you know, let's get better. What's happening? There's nothing wrong with your body. I mean, what's going on? So how, how did the few months, let's say that first year, what did you go through? Oh my goodness. Um, the first three or four months um, are nearly indescribable. My memory of it is quite foggy. Um, I've had family and friends tell me of conversations or symptoms that I had that I don't even really remember having. Um, but the compound effects of a, of a brain injury are, are not just like physically in your brain where like I actually remember an occupational therapist had come to my house around four months after the car accident And she asked how I was doing. And I remember I didn't really get off the couch and she kind of walked around and she looked at, you know, where things were accessible. I had a knee injury and a shoulder injury. And was I able to actually care for myself, like in my physical environment? 
And she kind of looked around and I'm sure it looked a bit of a mess around here because she asked how it was going, just like taking care of myself and my immediate environment. And I remember trying to tell her that I couldn't do laundry. I couldn't figure it out. There was like, I knew I, something needed to be sorted. There's a washer and a dryer and there's timing, but settings, I had to set something. There's timing of like when something went from the washer to the dryer. And then when it was all done, I knew things needed to go back in different locations, either folded or hung or drawers, mine or my partner's. And, and I remember I tried for like three days to do the laundry and I couldn't do it. And, and she had an aha moment of like, we need to get more support in place and we need to figure out exactly what's going on here. And that was kind of the beginning of um, understanding what it meant to have a TBI and what recovery was really going to look like. And it was a very um, eye-opening and educational moment, not only for me, but for my caregivers too, who we really weren't set up when I was sent home from the hospital to understand what this was going to mean in the long term. And um, yeah, that was, that was, I'm very, very grateful for that visit from that occupational therapist um, because it was the beginning of actual healing um, happening, able to happen. So, hmm. I'm trying. So I'm imagining you struggling like cognitively to try to like sort out how to do the laundry. And that's just probably one anecdote among many where it's like, I feel like I have a sense of how this is supposed to go, but I actually don't have my full capacity. Um, And meanwhile, your, your then boyfriend now husband is witness to all of this. He's probably seeing a lot of other things too. And there's like a, you know, a bit of uh, prayer and hope that things are going to move in the right direction. Right. Um, and, and slowly, but surely that happened. But just before we get into like big success story turnaround, cause I mean, we're having this fantastic conversation and obviously you've got your faculties back. Um, my understanding of TBIs and you would know a lot more than me is that, um, people who suffer from TBIs tend to not have the capacity to empathize. Um, did you struggle with understanding other people's feelings in that time? Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And even looking back, like my memories aren't corrected. Like my memories of that time are of my ex- firsthand experience. I still will the odd time my husband Lyle will say something. I'm like, that's not what happened. He's like, sweetheart. <laughs> like I, I don't have a corrected memory of that. Every relationship in my life be it um, my husband, Lyle, my parents, friends, um, coworkers, every relationship was strained. I couldn't, and it, and it wasn't that I couldn't, I wasn't aware of not being able to connect with them. And that's the TBI piece is like, you don't even know what's in your blind spots at the time. Like I know I can't do laundry, I'm not Googling it. I'm not asking anybody. I'm not writing down the steps. Like I don't even have the problem solving skills to figure out what's gone wrong or how I could solve it. And so in that way, relationships also suffered because it was in a total blind spot for me, what my capacity was to connect with people and how I could heal or lean on them or what to ask for. And at that same token, I was the, I'm the only one in my family or friend circle that I know of that suffered from a TBI. And so they also didn't understand what this missing piece was. Um, and it's also fueled like these personal interpersonal relationships suffered 
And it's also like mental health and TBIs are hand in hand because you actually, your brain is who you are. And when it's injured, you're no, you no longer have your own set of skills and tools and resources and experiences. So I want to take a minute here because there might be somebody who's watching this who actually has a TBI. Um, and there are people may, who may be watching to try to understand people who have TBI. So maybe you could speak to and offer from your own personal experience, some like uh, recommendations, suggestions, tips, whatever. What do you say to people who might be having a TBI, who don't understand what's going on to them? It might not be fully diagnosed. They might not have had that occupational therapist who kind of like, level, like took it up a notch. Um, and then what would you say to the people around that person to help them in this process? Mm, beautiful question. Um, to the person who is suffering, I'm going to get emotional talking about this. So will I. Oh. <laughs> oh. To the person who is suffering, give yourself grace. Your brain is who you are. And, and when it's injured, it's unlike any other injury that a person experiences. Um, give yourself so much grace and so much compassion. The first year and a half um, to two years are going to be incredibly hard and life is not going to be what it was before. And that's okay. Um, and if you are fortunate to have the supports or the resources, um, whether that's through insurance or otherwise, um, find a neuropsychologist um, and maybe that means somebody can help you find one because we don't always have the, the resources or the ability to find answers for ourselves when we're in that state. If you can find a neuropsychologist, um, I was connected with one um, through a chain of events from that original occupational therapist who visited my home and, and visiting with her and having her insight and having the knowledge that she was able to share from working with people who have TBIs just made me feel seen and, and heard and understood for the first time. It was life-changing. Um, Before you move on to the second part of that question, I'm so touched because I'm picking up on two things that I think are worth really kind of taking a, a minute to talk about. One is sort of the sense of loss, like the loss of how your life has changed, but also the loss of your own identity um, and the need for a lot of self-empathy, self-compassion as you kind of mourn that loss and the changes. And so what did that look like for you when you say, you know, be kind to yourself, practice self-care, self-compassion, self-empathy, like how? Yeah, and again, because you're in this state of like really not understanding even how to go about it, I look back, I just think I wish that I would have known, like, if I need to sleep another 14 hours today, it's okay. Like, if that dark room is your safe space, it's okay. And, and when other people don't understand, it's also okay. I wouldn't have understood before. And it doesn't mean that they don't love me or support me or want to be there. They, they simply don't understand. And so there's these pieces of like, you know, why can't I get up and why can't I keep going or why can't I push through when I'm tired? And it's the world, it, the living experience is just transformed. It's just different and it's okay. It's going to take time. 
and to not um, be so hard on myself for needing that time and for needing so hundreds of hours in a dark and quiet room by myself, which I hated, (laughs) but needed and that it's okay. Well, of course, then, you know, mental health issues must be correlated because if you are feeling like you need to be in a quiet, dark space for the lion's share of a day, um, you must wonder, like, is this ever going to get better? And where do you find hope? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my recovery, I'm very, I'm one of the lucky ones to be sitting here, to be talking to you, to be able to reflect on it. Um, I'm one of the lucky ones. And, and it just, it just took years. It took time, more time than I ever imagined to feel like myself again. Three years, really. Last year, I started to feel better last spring. Um, Yeah. And then mental health piece is, is, is a definite side effect. It's like, it's actually like, it's a biological effect. Like your brain is actually altered. You're in fight or flight mode because your brain doesn't understand yourself anymore. Um, But then there's this other piece of the like tertiary effect where I'm actually spending time in a dark, quiet room by myself for hours. And of course you're not well in that physical space. Today's episode was brought to you by Grant Huron International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. So back to that other question, what would you say to people who love the person who's had a TBI and wants to be supportive? What kind of, what Mm -hmm. message do you like to channel out there? Mm -hmm. Um, Just patience um, for the process, which is up and down on a winding road and every injury is different. So um, I can with a, a, a fair amount of confidence say that no matter who you are or what type of brain injury you have, um, it is isolating and it is lonely and your brain doesn't make sense. And so if there's any research or information that the caregivers can do to learn more or understand or even speak to a professional as the caregiver, um, just understanding what it's like is the most powerful Um, piece of support you can give a person because to them it actually still won't make sense and so if the caregiver can have a little bit of a better understanding it I think would mean the world Um, and in my CBC article that I was fortunate to be asked to write I also talked about like the cast on the brain you know if you see somebody with a broken leg you're not thinking like why aren't you running that marathon though you just get it we just understand that and so when you know that a person has a brain injury and maybe they meet you for a half an hour coffee and then they abruptly have to leave and they're not well and they spend the next 20 hours in a dark and quiet room. It's like, that's their marathon on that day. And just imagine almost like a cast on their brain because it is healing and it needs to be bandaged. And that bandage is like, it's knowledge about what the TBI is. It's care, it's compassion, it's empathy um, for the process and, and hang on for the ride. It's a long road. And those people that were there for me through the long haul are my people forever. And I know it and they know it. So, so let's take a second just to acknowledge that Lyle is now your husband. So any shout outs to Lyle during this conversation that you want to offer? Oh my goodness. The world to Lyle. He is, 
I'm so lucky. We had only been dating for just over a year at the time of my injury. And so he went from being, you know, my boyfriend and my roommate at the time to being my full-time caregiver. And that is a jolt that nobody prepares for, that you cannot prepare for, um, that you cannot understand until you're in the position of caregiver. And I'm so grateful for my sweetheart. He, you know, we wrote out the high highs, the low lows, and he has helped me celebrate every milestone. And he himself has grown in empathy and compassion and understanding for not only TBIs, but what that mental health piece looks like. And I'm so lucky. I'm so grateful. Love you, Lyle. <laughs> yes. We all love you, Lyle, and we're so happy for both of yeah. you. I mean, I saw wedding pictures and you look absolutely beautiful and you're a gorgeous couple. So yes, yeah. thank you, Lyle, and everybody else who was part of that posse. Um, okay, so, um, you know, those couple of years of a journey were long and, you know, required a lot from you, but then there was like some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. So what was that transition like? Um. It's interesting, I really didn't, my first moment of feeling a little bit like myself was last spring. And I can tell you, I started my journey to become a teacher. I went back to school to become a teacher when I turned 30. And at that time I was working full time and I was in school full time at the time of the car accident. And, and my life came to a literal screeching halt. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to finish my degree. I didn't know if I'd ever work full time again. And I spent um, the better part of two years in, in full time recovery, like thousands of hours of physiotherapy, occupational therapy and neuropsychology. Um, I returned to part time classes the following year. And even at that time, it was still a struggle. I didn't know if I day by day, I didn't know if I could go back. I didn't know if I could finish the course. I didn't know if I could finish my degree. Um, and so fast forward, three years had gone by and I was offered my first um, temporary teaching, temporary but full-time teaching contract last February, February 1st of 2021. And I started the job not knowing if I could do it. I didn't know what it would be like to work full-time. I hadn't done it in three years. Um, I had done everything in my power and with the privilege and resources I was given to, to try to heal and get to this point and I still didn't know. And so about two or three months into my teaching contract, let's say like May of last year, May of 2021, um, I really, I had a moment where I was like, I'm me, I'm, I'm me again. I'm in my element. I'm doing a job that I love that I didn't know if I could ever get to. Um, pandemic aside, there were hurdles, all sorts of hurdles. And I I don't remember ever thinking there was light at the end of the tunnel, but there was a day where I woke up and went to my job and reflected on, you know, my upcoming wedding and my fiance and the life that we've built and the healing that we had done. And I just knew I had arrived. So I really didn't see the light ever, but one day I noticed I was basking in it and it was the most beautiful realization and to share with my loved ones too. You know, there was a lot of moments along the way where people would say, you must be doing better, you look great, or, and I still was just trudging along, doing the best I could day by day, but last spring, I had an aha moment, I was like, I, I'm good, you guys, like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like myself again, um, I'm not symptom-free, but I was 
living with it in a way that I was so happy with and really felt like myself again. Oh, so happy for you. And I'm so happy for your students. I'm sure you're an amazing, amazing educator. What, t- what grade do you teach? I, the last two years I've been teaching grade one and two. Oh my <laughs> so God, this the little, little munchkins. Oh, they're the light of my day. I didn't know I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. I was a trained high school teacher and it was just the perfect, the perfect landing spot for a new teacher. I was there. They were there. Everything. They taught me so much. I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I feel like you have a special kind of perspective on life now um, because, you know, it was a near fatal car accident and then you did survive and, and recover from your TBI. Um, I wonder whether or not you could speak. We're kind of like doing deep philosophy over here, Chandra, but like a message to people who, including me, take our health for granted. Um, any, any message you'd like to share? Yes. Um, you know, I, I think of my time pre-accident and you can, I can think of like, I remember this one time at our family cabin, this is kind of a weird segue, but I stubbed my toe and I stubbed it so hard. I remember my foot ached that whole week of holidays at the lake. Like I could barely walk on my foot. And I remember feeling this little flash of vulnerability where it's like, we are actually living this fragile existence. You know, we get a horrible hangnail and our fingers bugging us, or I stubbed my toe on this trip to the lake. And we are actually, we are living this like sacred momentary existence on earth. And, and we are so vulnerable. And having a brain injury has changed my perspective in terms of understanding my privilege, in terms of understanding people with other invisible um, injuries or disabilities, um, and visible for that matter. And I just, I just hope, I just wish everybody could have this perspective that life is so fragile and just one moment, one phone call, one cross over the center line of a highway can change everything. And um, I do my best to live in gratitude um, when I can and, and take the days as they come and just wrap my arms around opportunities as they present themselves. Um, I don't know. I hope that answers your That's question. a beautiful message. That's an incredibly powerful message. Um, I'm, I'm really kind of, I'm, 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 I'm savoring this conversation so much because you're speaking so vulnerably from the heart about your experience. You're very articulate and very charming. So that's like a separate story, but you're actually, I feel you're like really trying to share with anybody who's listening or watching like, a message of hope and a message of, of, um, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're wishing for them to have uh, a good life. Right. I can, I can sense mm-hmm. that. I can feel that. What about a message to drivers out in the world? Any, any little PSA you'd like to offer? Yes. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Do you beep outwards? <laughs> oh, go for it. Put your fucking cell phone away. Don't drive tired. Don't drive after you've been drinking. It's not just your life. Every single car that you pass is a responsibility that you have to be paying attention. And 
I see distracted drivers all the time at red lights. I'll honk my horn and say, get off your phone. Um, I respond to people on social media, on my Instagram, Snapchat, wherever I'm seeing videos. If they're recording something and driving, I'm like, hey, you don't know me well, or hey, you're my best friend and I love you and get off your cell phone. It's, it's not fair and it's not right. And it's a responsibility that you have beyond your own comfort zone. Um, it's a responsibility that you have to take care on the road and to take care of every single car that you pass. That is a responsibility that you have. Um, and so I just hope that um, my story or the law or, you know, the messaging of this um, video with you, Anita, is a reminder to people to get off their cell phones, to um, drive sober, to pull over if they need to rest their eyes and um, to honor the responsibility that is driving. Thank you for that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm struck personally also by this call to action because I remember years ago, like, you know, I don't know if you ever did vanity suntan and those little machines with the ultra lights. And I remember a girl on St. Catherine street in downtown Montreal requesting people to sign a petition, making a commitment that they would not do it anymore. Cause she was a cancer survivor and I signed the petition and I've never gone back to one of those things again. And I feel like you are providing a call to action to anybody who's watching anybody who's listening. Like we all can make excuses. Oh, I'm just at a stoplight or I have to respond, da, 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 da. but we just, we don't, we can just make the decision. No, we're just not going to do that anymore. And so I am making a hundred percent commitment to you. No distractions while I'm driving. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'm really, yeah. I invite everybody else to do it. So like anybody who's watching this video, put a message in the message underneath in the description of the YouTube video saying like no more distracted driving. Okay. So I love that. thank you. Spread the word. Tell your friends. <laughs> Message the people. I love it. Um, so what does it mean for you now uh, living a post-injury life? Um, how, are you, how are you doing? What are you looking forward to in the future? Yes. Um, my husband and I are building a home this year, um, which we're so excited about. I received my uh, permanent teaching contract this spring. I'm so grateful for in a year of budget cuts and coming out of a pandemic i'm so excited to continue to be an educator um, and work with students it's the job of my dreams and um as i've healed and had the capacity for it i've had the opportunity to help um full circle reach out to the organizations um, the acquired brain injury center here in saskatoon and connect them with a fundraising charity and help them raise money help other people who are in need of support at their time of their injury and through their healing. So just, I'm able to finally look bigger picture and I'm so grateful for that. Oh, I'm sure you're an amazing advocate for these organizations. Incredible. And if you will, we'll include a link if anybody else wants to make a donation to your favorite charity, by all means. Last question, Chandra, you have been, like I said, I'm just so, I'm so it's like a gift to talk to you. It's really like a gift. You are like, uh, um, you're a bit of an angel, I think. And I just want to, I want to recognize how much warmth I feel. I felt that when we talked on the phone some months ago and I feel it now talking to you live. Um, uh, do you have any stories of um, when people were 
empathy, empathic to you. I asked this story, like, you know, at the end of the co- conversations with my guests, like, tell me a time when you can remember somebody being em- empathic on purpose and what that meant for you. So maybe you can. Yes, I can give a little shout out um, to my doctor. Um, her name is Dr. Hillis here in Saskatoon. And she's a neuropsychologist and a clinical psychologist. And through that chain of events from that first visit with the occupational therapist, um, I was referred through a few other appointments and eventually referred um, through to her. And I remember the first time um, speaking with her, I don't remember the details of what exactly we spoke about, but I remember just this absolute weight being lifted off my shoulders uh, for being seen and heard by somebody who understood traumatic brain injuries and somebody who could explain to me the science behind why I can't do the laundry right now or why I can't go to the grocery store and follow a shopping list um, and a million other examples. And, you know, when I got married, she doesn't know this, but when I got married, um, I wanted to invite her to the wedding and, and even give her a little shout out just to say, um, you know, there's a person here today that is the reason I'm able to stand up and, and be part of um, this beautiful marriage to my husband. And, you know, she's given me so much hope. She's given me so much empathy. She's given me a sense of understanding and compassion for myself and my journey that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And, and I'm so, so, so grateful for that and for professionals like her that um, are able to help people through whatever their challenges may be, so. Yes, we call those health professionals sort of like the empathy superheroes. So shout out to her, shout out to your best, to your friend that was uh, part of your wedding party and, and, and glad that she's doing well and to Lyle. And thank you, Chandra, for sharing your story and congratulations on getting to your four year anniversary of the accident and just being sort of glorious, actually. Thank you so much, Anita. I have to, before we go, I have to say, you know, my first moment of like full circle on myself again was last year when the CBC reached out to me to share my story. And moments like this, this chance to share with you um, our conversation for your upcoming book and um, and here today, it is, it is the best gift um, I could ever ask for to have the chance to share, um, to support somebody who might need it. Um, it's just, it's everything. So thank you so much. So don't be shy if you've been touched by this interview to include some comments. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely certain, Chandra, that this conversation will have an impact that you can't even begin to measure. So thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week at Purposeful Empathy. What if you had access to your own council of coaches to help you break free of your thinking clutter, make that important decision, and liberate you from whatever is holding you back? At Grand Huron International, you get to choose the coach of your choice anytime from anywhere. Visit grandhuroninternational.ca and harness the power of on-demand coaching today.